I don't know if you've ever spent much time thinking about Judas. He's not one of the most popular of the disciples. I think that's probably an understatement. He's not the one we tend to go for when we want inspiration. He's not the person we think about when we we want to feel fondly about somebody. There are no letters coming from his pen, like Peter or John. There are no stories about him taking the gospel to the ends of the world. In fact, he, in many ways, is the unexplained disciple. What went wrong with Judas? What happened? He seems out of place. And sometimes I think we overlook him. I was too slow with my camera the other day. Otherwise, I'd have shown you a picture of this on the screen. But I was looking out of our bedroom window. And there were two mallards walking across the church car park. I don't know what they were doing. They were miles away from water. They were out of place. They didn't look like they fitted with their surroundings. Judas is a bit like this. And I think we can sometimes be reluctant to think about him. Because all that we find is horrific accounts about what he did. This account that we've just read about the betrayal. And then the horrendous events that led to him um, committing suicide, taking his own life because of what he had done. Why did he betray Jesus? What happened? What went wrong with Judas? The gospel writers actually don't make it that clear. They don't, don't really explain the why. It may have been that actually he got the wrong ideas of what the kingdom of God was all about. And it may be that if he thought, actually, if I betray Jesus to the authorities, it'll force him to show his hand. It'll mean that he will get on with the job of re-establishing the Davidic kingdom. He'll become a king and we'll have our freedom on earth as the people of Israel. It may have been that he actually wasn't that sophisticated. And it may have been he just thought, I've been offered money. I like money. A lot of us like money, don't we? I like money. I can use it to, to buy something. That that the chief priest is offering me is quite a bit. And we find out in the Gospel writers that actually it was enough to buy a field. I don't know how much a field costs. But if you were to buy a field today, it would be quite a bit of money you would need to buy the land. But whatever Judas had planned, when he saw that his betrayal had led to Jesus being condemned, he was filled with remorse. It says this in Matthew 27, verse 10. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied. That's your responsibility. There's nothing appealing about that, is there? There's nothing in that account that makes us think, well, that's a nice happy ending. There is no scene like there is with Peter, who we'll look at in a few moments, who then on the beach, after Jesus had risen, gets beautifully restored into his relationship with his Lord. And Jesus and Judas sorry, can easily be the figure that we, we just turn away from. We don't know what to do with him. We'd rather not think about him. He's the betrayer, after all. And surely we wouldn't have done anything like Judas did. But you know, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure whether in each of us there isn't a betrayer. You see, if the events of Good Friday tell us anything about human nature, they reveal in Judas, in Peter, and later on we'll look at Pilate as well, the total inability of the human heart to do the right thing. 
the inability of us to remain faithful to Jesus, to remain faithful to the things that God would want us to do. A man in power, and we'll enact this in a few moments, washes his hands of Jesus. Says, he's not my responsibility, send him away. Nothing to do with me. Peter, somebody who actually should have known far better, because he had already declared who Jesus was. He knew he's the Son of God. He knows he's the Messiah. Yet what does he do? He denies him three times. And the man in our sights at the moment, Judas... He hands Jesus over to the very people the gospel writers will tell us had been after Jesus. Wanted to get rid of him. Wanted to get him off the scene. But the problem is, I think in many of us, if not in all of us, there is a Peter or a Pilate or a Judas. Deep down within the human heart, ever since Adam and Eve first obeyed God at the dawn of time, there is that trajectory away from God to wanting to do things our own way. To not wanting to follow God's ways, but to want to do things our own way. And we can do it in many different ways. We can do a Peter, and we can be just like saving our skin, you know, telling a lie to get out of a situation. We can deny that our behavior is anything to do with us. It's somebody else's fault. Let's pass the blame on to somebody else. What Calvary shows us, what Good Friday shows us, is that actually we are all betrayers. We are all people who in one way or another have loved ourselves or loved other things more than we love Jesus. Now that's what sin is, isn't it? Sin is when we, our heart gets taken up by something else and it takes place over Jesus. Even when we are like Peter, people who have said, this is Jesus Christ, the Son of the Most High, we still find ourselves sinning against him. We still find ourselves having other things, other things that we put in the place of Jesus. Now, none of us in this room have done a pilot. None of us have been a Judas. None of us have been a Peter. But that's only because we weren't there. It's only because we weren't in that position. The song says, it was my sin that held him there. My sin my sin. It was the rubbish in my life. It was my sin, it was your sin that held Jesus on the cross. My betrayal that Jesus took upon himself. And it was on the cross that we get this amazing divine transaction that the prophet Isaiah had spoken about. This is from hundreds of years before, from Isaiah 53 verses 4 to 6. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray, each one of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus, God's own son, would take our place. Take the death that we should die because of our sin. Now, we will all have to endure physical death. Unless Jesus returns beforehand, we will all die. That is the only certain thing that happens in humanity's existence. 
But the death that Jesus faced on Good Friday was not just the physical death that we will endure, but it was the total separation from his heavenly Father, the total abandonment of Jesus, dying on Calvary with the weight of the world's sin and failure hung about him. And from that Isaiah reading, we are all the sheep. We are all the ones who've gone our own way. We know Good Friday, without looking deeper into the heart of God, a lot of what we've talked about can seem incredibly gloomy and quite oppressive. And I think it's right that we retell that story, because that's our story. That's who we are. We are the betrayers. But actually, we need to set this in, God's big, set this in terms of God's bigger picture. A couple of Sunday nights ago, we had an exalt service, and Victoria, who was leading it, um, gave us a bit of time in the middle of the service to think about our favorite Bible verses at the moment and say, what are the verses that actually God is using in your life or speaking to you through? And I don't know about you, but I sometimes find life gets complicated. Anybody have a complicated life at the moment, or do people live nice, simple lives? If you do, come and speak to me afterwards. Tell me how you manage that. But the more and more I think about life, and probably the older I get, the more I think things are complicated. There are just so many things to think about, so many things to do. Church life can be complicated as well. You know, as a, as a minister, I experience that church life can be complicated. Christian theology, reading the Bible, can be complicated as well. You know, when we delve into what God has done and the mysteries of God, some of it can be really difficult to understand. And yet there's a verse that I keep coming back to, and it's a verse that has been sort of really resonating with me recently. And it's a verse that's from the, bit, uh, from the middle of the book of Galatians. If you know anything about the book of Galatians, it's a complicated book, dealing with complicated issues. But in the middle of it, Paul says this. This is Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And that last bit of the sentence, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus, who loves the betrayers. Jesus, who when we turn to him, is the one who offers us forgiveness. The risen Christ, who by his Holy Spirit has poured his life and his hope into our hearts. So what is the call of God to us today? Is God saying anything specifically to us? Well, I don't think it's that we need to just try harder not to betray Jesus. People have been doing that for centuries and just trying harder never seems to do anything apart from create guilt within us. Peter couldn't manage that. Peter still betrayed Jesus, despite knowing that Jesus had said he would, and despite knowing who Jesus was. Is it to deny the cross and say, well, actually, I'm okay, you know, I I don't need what Jesus did for me? Well, to do that is to say, actually, we're just pulling the wool over our own eyes. We're not living with the reality of who we are. So my prayer is that it's not any of those type of things, but that our response today is very simple. And it's the response that Paul had. That in our innermost being, we resonate with thankfulness. That in the depths of our heart, we come today and we say, thank you, Heavenly Father, for sending Jesus. 
Thank you, Jesus, for being obedient to what your Father called you to do. Thank you to God that our sins are forgiven. That at the cross we see both our worth, the fact that we are loved with a passion that goes back into eternity, but the fact that actually we can't do anything about our human state on our own. There is an unworthiness within us that cannot reach God without Jesus. Past the day, the response needs to be a simple, renewed commitment to live by grace through faith. To live the kind of life that reflects the forgiveness we can enjoy. Not through our strength, but through Christ who lives in me. So this Good Friday, can I encourage us to come humbly again to the cross? To come in awe, come in wonder. Remember who we are, but remember how much greater Jesus is. I remember that's in love, out of his deep love for us, that desire to bring us back into relationship, that Jesus died. Let's pray. It's those words again from Galatians. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Lord, we thank you for the amazing truth in those words. Thank you that you love us and you gave yourself for us. Thank you that even though we are the betrayers, the deniers, those who would seek to go our own way and not yours, Yet while we were still in that state, you came and you died for us. And thank you that you have called us into the most glorious future with you. That we are now part of the new creation in Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Pilate. If you've got the the book here, it's on the page entitled Torture. Anyone fancy reading this for us? About somebody from this side? (laughs) Then Pilate had had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put a purple robe on him. Hail, King of the Jews, they mocked, as they slapped him across the face. Thank you. Now, I need a volunteer. Go on, Rio, you were first up. Just stand there for a second. I'll give you the job in a minute. Pilate was another person who denied Jesus. Another person who didn't do what was the right thing. In a dream, his wife had been warned to say to Pilate, don't have anything to do with Jesus. Pilate also knew that actually Jesus was innocent. He couldn't find any reason to charge him. And so he did something that felt would get him off the hook. This is from Matthew 27, 24. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It's your responsibility. So, Rio, what I want you to do is wash your hands. 
Shout out, this is your responsibility. This is your responsibility. See, what Pilate thought he was doing by doing that was saying, it's not my fault. It's somebody else's. Somebody else's. You can drive them on there if you like. Thank you, that was brilliant. You know, it's easy to do that, isn't it? It's easy to do it in life. It's easy to do it with God. To always be looking to blame other people when we mess up. And that's what Pilate is doing here. I'll just move that out of the way for health and safety reasons. The next person we come to is Simon of Cyrene. If you turn to the page where it says mercy, it's quite a short reading. Would anyone like to read this one? Perhaps somebody at the back this time. Anybody? Go on, Dorothy. A passerby named Simon, who was from Cyrene, was coming in from the countryside just then, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Thanks, Dorothy. There's a cross here at the back. You see, Simon of Cyrene wasn't a key player in what was going on. He was just a passerby, and he got told to move the cross, to walk it forward, to walk and take it. And so I'll just pass that over there. He will be part of the story that actually leads to Jesus dying in our place as God's mercy is revealed. Hand over to Darren. Okay, so we're moving on now to look at the next uh, few characters in the story. And we're going to be looking at the uh, thieves that are on the cross. So we need, again, uh, a volunteer. Please, your hand was up straight away. So it's the forgiveness page. Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with Jesus. When they came to a place called the school, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Brilliant. Okay, and another volunteer, please. Quite a long passage, if that's okay. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, So you're the messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protests, Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, 
Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. Brilliant, thank you. So fantastic readings there, thank you. So here we um, we find one of the more more famous sayings, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then Jesus says, I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. So here we find Jesus, done nothing wrong, yet there he was in between two criminals, in between two thieves. And the thieves both realise that they have done something wrong. You know, they said, we deserve to die. We don't know what it is that they did. We don't even know their names, but they play a massive part in this story. They're stood right in the middle of Jesus, stood side by side between Jesus, blameless, yet still there being crucified. And we see that Jesus has a really interesting conversation because one of the thieves, right at the end of his life, he realises who Jesus is. He realises that he is the son of God. He's realising he's without sin. And it gives us real hope when we have a look at this story because we realise that Jesus shows two things. He shows forgiveness to this man that's asking for forgiveness. And he shows him hope. Right at the end of his life, he says, you will be with me in paradise. He's one of the first people. And all he had was one little conversation right at the end of his life. And he's one of the first people that's going to be with Jesus in paradise. Thanks, Darren. So we move to our next person. And this is thinking about Mary and the disciple that Jesus loved. And it's all about family. And I'm getting lost with my pictures here. Okay, it's on the screen. Can we have a volunteer to read John 19, 25 to 27? Go on, Ethan. Standing near to the cross were Jesus' mother and his, mo- and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from then on, the disciple took her into his home. I always find with that reading, there is something really beautiful and intimate about it. That here's Jesus, suffering. He's crucified. He's taking the sins of the world. And who's he thinking about? If that was me in that position, suffering, I would probably be thinking about myself. I'd be thinking about the pain that I was going through. What does Jesus do? He sees his mum. He sees the disciple who he loves. And he effectively says, this is the new family. He's looking out for other people. You see, Jesus is teaching about loving your neighbour, about loving everybody. There are no times when that doesn't apply. There are no times when actually we're called to put that down and just think about ourselves. I think Jesus' example here is that even in those moments, to enact the hope and the truth of the gospel. 
But the end is coming now. We're approaching Jesus' final hours. Fantastic. Can we have one last person to read, please? Some, maybe somebody that's not done it before? Or any of the adults? Yeah, thank you. By this time, it was about noon, and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly... The curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. Let's just spend a few minutes just in silence reflecting on those words before we come to one last thing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. You know, Jesus talk about, talked about forgiveness a lot during his ministry. He would tell stories. He would ask his disciples and followers questions. He would share a lot about forgiveness. But he didn't just talk about forgiveness. He demonstrated forgiveness. And now we're going to uh, we're going to spend some time just reflecting, and we're going to spend some time in communion. And what a brilliant remembrance of what Jesus did on that cross to take the bread and to drink the wine, and to remember both the Last Supper and to remember the sacrifice that Jesus did for us. I'll pray, and then I'll hand over. If that's okay. Father, thank you for this opportunity to be able to just take some time out of our busy lives, Lord, and reflect on the cross. To reflect on all that means, Lord, for us, for our friends, our family, our loved ones. Thank you, Lord, that we can bring everything to you. 
we can bring everything to the foot of the cross. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us now.